0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Tuesday, April 16th, and we're getting a little nostalgic. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Dan Klein in the studio with me. Dan, what's going on? I don't know. How are you? Nice to have you in town. Happy to be here. I'm gonna
1: guess you're kinda sick of me at this point. No, (laughs) never, Dan. I'm getting
0: used to usually it's like a monthly cadence that we have you here at HQ. It's always a treat. I think it's so much more fun to do a show with someone in the studio. It is. So, so we have that lined up. Before we get into what will be a very fun, very rodent-focused show today, I want to check in because on Friday's show I mentioned that Austin Morgan was going to be working towards his 2019 New Year's resolution of developing some hobbies. That uh, turned out being a meat smoke situation this Saturday. Austin, how'd it go? I would call it a huge success. Huge it success. Was very good. Very, very good. No complaints. How long did it take? You did brisket, right? I did brisket, and the smallest brisket I found with Costco was 18 pounds, which was <laughs> untrimmed. So I had to cut some I cut a lot of fat off it. But I put it in the smoker at 630, took it out at around eleven, wrapped it in foil, put it back until about one something, took it out, put it in a cooler, let it rest by about 4 o'clock, right in time for the caps game. It was Awesome. So you got to enjoy it day of with like the perfect thing. You're watching a sporting event. Oh, yeah. So a lot of market foolery and motley fool money listeners know that Ron Gross has some barbecue tips. Do you have any first time smoker tips? Anything that went wrong that you would advise people to kind of steer clear of (laughs) having done it now once? I would say for something like that, where you're moving the meat several times, you need some gloves. That thing is hot (laughs) and it ruins your oven mitts. Oh. Selling to note right there. And if anyone wants to see the product from Austin's first time smoking meat, they can check it out. I believe we quoted the tweet on our Twitter page at MF Industry Focus. If anyone wants to see that, Dan, did you do anything fun this weekend?
1: I traveled here.
0: And I, <laughs> I think that's I, fun.
1: I lost a bunch of money gambling at the MGM with. Uh, Fellow uh, industry focused contributor Matt Frankel. Yes, so. anyone that
0: listened on Monday, I, he probably told a tight, slightly different story because he wins
1: money. Well, usually I win money. I, we've told a lot of stories about random me like waiting for him and randomly playing a slot machine and winning $1,800. That's happened a couple times. This time the mistake I made is I didn't wait till he arrived. I gambled a little bit before he got there and I was like $400 in the hole in like 20 minutes. So. Did you cut your losses? Uh I arrested my losses. <laughs> to, to be fair, at Marilyn Live the night before, I was about 260 up. So the overall isn't that terrible.
0: All right. Well, we're not talking casinos today. We are talking about two childhood staples, and that is Chuck E. Cheese and Disney big news from both of them. Disney might
1: be a little bit more in people's minds. A lot of people probably forgot about Chuck E. Cheese. If you're not six or have a six-year-old, you probably are not aware of Chuck E. Cheese. But Chuck E. Cheese is coming back, Dan. Well, it's it's always been here. It's coming back to the public market.
0: Yes. And I think back into maybe the mainstream consciousness. I know I personally remember being at Chuck E. Cheese as a kid, loving it, being like, yep, this is where I want to go for my friend's birthday. I have since forgotten about it. So,
1: I have a 15 year old. And when we were kids, and I'm older than you, as we've established on many <laughs> shows, Chuck E. Cheese was a thing until I was in about fifth grade. That's about when Atari came out and when arcades were big. But, Chuck E. Cheese was the only place that had video games and a climbing maze. And I would say the age of Chuck E. Cheese shrunk to maybe five years old, six years old, as the max of when kids are interested. So, my son's 15, and I haven't been in a Chuck E. Cheese for 10 years. I haven't seen a Chuck E. Cheese in a long time. I'd kind of forgotten uh, that they
0: were still in business, to be honest. They are doing quite a bit to try to refurbish their image, and I, I had a really, really good time researching this show, because <laughs> there are all these people who have put together these compilations of the Chuck E. Cheese mascot over the years, and you see it go from this very
1: crude, frankly scary It's mouse, menacing. It's menacing
0: to something now that looks almost like a
1: Pixar character. I think what's important is, it was originally a suit and an animatronic character. And now, in mm. some markets, it's still a suit, but it's largely an animated character, which makes it a little easier to take some of the edges off.
0: Yeah. So, so they are trying to get modern as a brand. They are trying to become a place that people want to go again. And uh, for investors, the reason we're talking about it today is, they are going to be hitting the public markets, and they're doing it kind of an interesting way
1: they're using what's called a special purposes company. And it's sort of a backdoor IPO. Basically, it's an empty shell of a company that you use to have an IPO, and then the proceeds of that go into sort of a holding company.
0: Okay. And so, obviously, this isn't something people are super familiar with. I think it's probably more than anything a product of Chuck E. Cheese's fairly complicated history as a private company.
1: Yeah. And and, and it's also, if you look at the sort of traditional metrics of how a bank takes someone through an IPO. Those are companies with either a lot of upward potential or no debt. Or this is a case of a company that has almost as much debt as it has value, about 900 million in debt and 1.4 million in uh, billion, excuse me, in projected value. And you're more used to seeing this kind of thing happen when it isn't the first time
0: a company has really been out there. Typically, if something has been taken private and then is re-entering the public markets, sometimes you'll see an IPO, sometimes you'll see some kind of interesting structure go on there. Some of the businesses that had a hand in Chuck E. Cheese as a private entity are going to continue to maintain some control of the business. Even as it goes public, they're going to control
1: 51% of the business. (laughs) (laughs) So you got to be on board with their vision of things. Absolutely, you know, it's it's a hedge fund, it's Apollo Management, and that's the the nervousy part about this. So the company that's rung up almost a billion dollars of debt on the Chuck E. Cheese brand, while updating approximately 60 of its 700 locations. So really, if you remember Chuck E. Cheese from 1984. That's probably your Chuck E. Cheese now with a little bit of painting and slightly less terrible pizza.
0: The story that we're getting from the private equity firm and, and the folks that are running the PR on all this is we are getting an updated franchise across the board, and, right?
1: And yeah. And that's so they, they have so much debt. Debt is about the same value as this IPO will be. It's about a billion in debt, it's about a billion for total value of the company. So they're going to come out of this with the ability to borrow some money. Or not pay back some money and use some of the proceeds and to update their facilities, to move to a a model where instead of buying tokens, you buy an hour of time. Where they put in these video screens, uh, you know, they took out the animatronics and replaced them with a guy in a suit. But the guy in a suit was like a suit you and I could make. <laughs> like,
0: so, so I don't think anyone wants to wear a suit that I'm making. <laughs> but but so okay, you're you're if you're buying into this, you're saying sure, we're going to basically give you the money to pay out your debt because we're buying the long-term vision here. I think there's reason though to be a little skeptical of the market for this type of entertainment now. I think in in some ways this era has passed a little
1: bit. Because the second your kid graduates to being able to play a somewhat complicated game on an iPad versus like a very basic one that maybe kids of all age are playing, Chuck E. Cheese with outdated video games and like a playscape that's not as good as the one in most towns now, it's not the appeal it was when we were kids. And pizza... I get kids like any pizza, but even the improved Chuck E. Cheese pizza is still not as good as most pizza. So it's a very strange proposition. It's the number one birthday party place for kids ages three through five and a half. That and I'm making that up. That's not like a real. Fact, That's not an official slogan. But that does feel like a very small niche because if I'm seven, I want to go to Dave and Buster's. I would
0: love to see Adult Dan try to channel seven-year-old Dan in <laughs> present day. I think that's uh, that's uh, something to be seen. But 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 thinking about this, right? Like there are so many other things that kids are interested in now, and, and I worry that the moment has passed for this kind of entertainment, or like you said, the window has gotten a little bit smaller. There are some encouraging signs that we see in the financials here, but I worry that. It is because they are about to do this, and they are kind of picking it, the timing of this a little bit.
1: In refurbished stores, the the same store sales increase has been impressive, but it isn't a long enough period to see if that holds. Because if I have a four year old and I forgot about Chuck E. Cheese, we haven't been since a birthday party last year, and I see that the local Chuck E. Cheese in the number three strip mall in my town, because that's usually where they are, you know, cheaper real estate uh, next to a Family Dollar and a Coles and a Burlington Coat Factory, that kind of plaza. I see that they just refurbed, and they have big signs out, new games. Maybe I go once." Where's the repeat visitabil- visitability once the kids are older? It only kills an hour. <laughs> yeah. And, and this
0: business reminds me a lot of Dave and & Buster's. And- one, I mean, the restaurant business is just hard. It's it's a difficult business to be in. You are constantly going up against your past results on a comps basis. You're expected to show both same store sales growth and expansion growth that you're able to find new markets to show your concept off. Um, with this though, there's also an element of entertainment and the store footprint, what it looks like, the games that you have in there are so important. And it seems to me, especially in the last five to ten years. That started moving so much faster. The pace of innovation with gaming has changed so much that it's hard for a franchise like this to keep up.
1: And those games aren't for little kids. So Dave and Buster's can get me to come back by, wow, play the new ridiculous immersive Batman game for free, and I'll go. All right, like twenty dollars. I'll have some coconut shrimp and a, a drink and play some Batman. Like that. That seems like something I might do once a month if Dave and Buster's was near me. Uh, with Chuck E. Cheese, you can't advertise to little kids. They like the free tickets, so there's that aspect of collect your tickets and you know get a piece of candy or something. But they're not clamoring for it the way like a 13-year-old would want to go to a Dave & Buster's. They both do a similar mix uh, when it comes to revenue. Um, it's about 60% for the entertainment side and about 40% for the food side. And Chuck E. Cheese is trying to move that needle by bringing in beer and wine. Uh, and I could see some incremental beer and wine sales, but you and I aren't going to, after work, be like, hey, you know what we should do? Let's go to Chuck E. Cheese for a <laughs> beer, because we'd get arrested. <laughs> like, well, I, I look at it, right, and
0: I say, okay, Dave & Buster's is the best outcome for a wholly refurbished And Chuck they and strug- Cheese. And they struggle. And they're struggling, yeah. I mean, it stocks down about 30% this year. And so, a best-in-class company in this category is having a hard time and I think like I'm probably in Dave and Buster's target demo right like I'm in my late 20s I don't have kids I like to drink like like all of that combines to like come play games and drink with your friends I've been once and it was for a friend of a friend's kid's birthday party
1: like 2 years ago but the proposition on Dave and Buster's is you are going to spend $30 to have like a burger and fries and a couple of beers and they'll give you some gameplay I'm going to guess you have an Xbox or a PS4. Uh, I do not. I'm not a big gamer, no, so maybe okay. that's partially what it is. Okay, so most people in your generation would have that. Yeah. I'm going to guess that there's some beer in your fridge. Yes, most certainly. Probably a Five Guys nearby. Or yes. So, <laughs> so it's it's not that compelling. That said, I think the, the one positive thing for expansion of Chuck E. Cheese, Dave & Buster's, anything like that, is the real estate terms they're going to be able to negotiate for the next 10 years are very favorable. Why is that? Well, because malls falsely believe that these businesses draw traffic that then go to other businesses. There's actually some some research that came out today that said that, in general, that's not true, that people go to those businesses. But for a mall, even just to have the spot filled and the parking lot not empty is kind of a benefit. And malls have been very, very interested in bringing in things that fill up big chunks of space.
0: Yeah. I think you've spoken before, maybe on this show, about how uh, the overall mall real estate inventory is uh, is a little bit bigger than the demand is at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we we've seen a near record, and it's absolutely going to be a record this year amount of store closures, something like six thousand. And think about every Payless is going out of business. Some communities had three Paylesses. There's at least three in West Palm Beach. So what's going to go in those? And you're getting a lot of interesting stuff, like you know, CBD stores and. But if you're a mall and you just lost Sears, you could go to I don't know twenty four seven fitness and Chuck E Cheese and fill Sears. That's got to be a lot more appealing than like, can we turn it into condos? Can we make it uh, office space? Like, um, but but for investors, Dan, let's let's let's
0: let's oh, let's, let's let's take a, a step back. Run here. away the, the mall the mall concept I understand, but for investors, is this something people should be remotely interested in? Because I look at it, I'm like this
1: this no, doesn't make sense to me. No. Be- because it's not a destination for long enough. There is a very small window where you might consider Chuck E. Cheese in your quarterly rotation for things to do with your child. It's relatively inexpensive. No sixth graders are going to Chuck E. Cheese unless they're being dragged to a birth a birthday party. So you're fighting very hard for a, a low spending audience. Like exactly how much pizza does a four year old eat? Exactly. So and yeah, yeah, mom and dad are gonna have a beer, but when you have your four-year-old, you can't get drunk. <laughs> like that's that's one of those implied parenting contract things.
0: Yes, there is no guidebook to parenting,
1: <laughs> but there are some unwritten rules, right? No, I I, I really don't like this business. Um, it, it it feels to me like like this is a death rattle kind of thing. Like, how do we get some of our money out? Uh, and I don't want to be the company that pays a hedge fund for its mistakes. Yeah.
0: Makes sense to me. Uh, I teased up that this is going to be a very rodent-focused show. We're talking Disney in this second segment here, Dan. And this is kind of a check-in on a conversation that we had back in January. Uh, we finally have some details on the Disney Plus offering that a lot of people have been waiting for.
1: Oh, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> you personally are excited. So- We've talked about on this show, me and you and various other hosts about how many streaming services I have. And the answer is roughly all of them, except some of the like sports. I don't have like the MLB package and things like that. But I've got like 13 or 14 different streaming services, partly for my job, partly because I'm not good with money in some situations. <laughs> you enjoy it, right? It's the yeah, thing and that I do I do joy. watch a lot of stuff. So I was kind of steeled against Disney Plus. There was a part of me going, all right, I'm a big Star Wars fan, but it's only two Star Wars shows. Like, I like all the Marvel movies. Oh, wait a minute, it's going to be six Marvel shows? So, the offering of content, if you're a family, is super Disney. Everything Disney ever, eventually, once the rights clear up. New shows from Marvel, new Pixar content. new. So, really, something from everybody. All the Fox content. So, the Simpsons' new home will be Disney+ and they're charging six ninety nine dollars a month for it, which is roughly half the price of Netflix.
0: Yeah, I think that's a masterstroke move. And I have to give you and I a little credit here. When we talked about it back in early 2019, <laughs> we did say, I'm expecting this to go up at about $7 or $8 a month. Looks like we got that one right. I think if you're looking to have multiple streaming subscriptions to pay... Eleven or twelve dollars a month, maybe thirteen dollars a month for Netflix, and then be able to tack this on and only be paying
1: about twenty bucks. That feels pretty reasonable. It, it, they're going to take share from Hulu, which is their product, which is interesting. So they're going to counteract that by offering you Hulu Live, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus at a bundle price. They haven't said what that bundle price is, but they did acknowledge that they intend to do that.
0: When is this actually going to launch, Dan? When are people going to be able to start
1: using it? Oh, you have to ask that. Uh, <laughs> November? <laughs> <laughs> am I?
0: Yeah, I think
1: sometime in the early fall. I think maybe November twelfth, something like that. That uh, <laughs> that that sounds right. And it and it's it's going to be a blockbuster launch. They're not rolling out with all this content at once, but honestly, they're going to launch with the Mandalorian, which is the the John Favreau Star Wars show. That alone might have got me to buy the first couple months. And if you're a movie fan, they will eventually have all the Avengers movies, all the Pixar movies. It's a huge wealth of content. And we said this on the other show. They're the only people who could do this. Nobody else could launch an immediate Netflix competitor.
0: Yeah. Uh, And the pricing smart. I think what um, people need to keep in mind with this is, stock went up 10% after they announced these details on their investor day. And this is all-time highs for Disney, which is great. Because as a Disney shareholder, I've looked at it for a while been like, there's something wonderful here, but we've been kind of just swimming along and there hasn't really been great gains. Even with this great news, even with this stock pop, this is not going to be something that immediately changes the books for Disney.
1: No, and it's a huge investment. So they forecast 60 to 90 million subscribers by 2025 and that's a huge number and the price you have to assume the price will go up because everyone else will go up so probably every time Netflix raises a dollar Disney will go up by 75 cents or and something and we're getting
0: close to like an annual cadence on that so
1: yeah and at some point i think there's going to be a value loss and maybe it's 15 maybe it's 19 I, I don't know what the number is but like we've talked about you can shut Netflix off you can you can right now and you you lose some of your your saved stuff But you could go in and say, like, you know what? I'm going to watch Disney for the next three months. And some people who binge watch TV that way. I tend to be more, I watch traditional episodically. I don't want to watch four episodes of the same show in a night most of the time. So, that method maybe doesn't work for me. But for, for your generation that's used to binging, I think Netflix is going to push people to say, like, yeah, I'm going to shut my account off for three months.
0: I know there are some people that do the streaming rotation, where they have one for three months or four months of the year, then they switch over and have another one for another couple months. And they kind of do this, like, A, B, C, D, rinse, repeat, so that they can watch all of the shows that are new on the platform. I'm not one of those people. Um, but I also only have a Netflix subscription, so maybe that's part of it.
1: Right. It's something, like, I feel like I should do. And any time I've ever thought about it, I am in a three-person household. I have a wife and a child. So I'll say, like, oh, like, I'm not watching Netflix this month, but my wife will be like eight episodes into something. So it doesn't always work, but with a little bit of planning, I think the pricing is going to get high. Um, yeah, it's a little tougher to do that when you have that many stakeholders. As as someone who is,
0: you know, just just me making those subscription decisions, a little bit simpler. Um, if we're putting some numbers to what this might look like for Disney, uh, you mentioned that 60 to 90 subscribers by the end of 2024. I think the company estimates that about a third of that is going to be in the United States. So if you have, we'll say the midpoint here, about 70 million, 75 million people paying what would right now be 70 dollars per year, it'll probably be higher down the road. Um, that's just about five billion dollars in revenue on an annual basis, um, which would be an eight percent lift on twenty eighteen sales. But that it's may, coming
1: in twenty twenty four. That may not cover expenses. Right. Well, that's just gross. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and, we're, we're just looking purely gross at this. I think realistically, so if Netflix is spending six to eight billion on content. Disney doesn't have to spend that much because it's producing content in other formats that can go to this platform.
0: And that's their huge competitive advantage, right? Is Everything just immediately can be ported over.
1: Yeah, it's why Netflix should buy CBS or or something like that. And I'll throw it out there, but I I actually think that's going to happen at some point.
0: (laughs) So, so this is great news for Disney investors, mostly because we're starting to see some enthusiasm uh, around the stock, and and it has languished for quite some time. Is there anything else in the reporting that you've seen on
1: this story uh, that you think Needs to be thrown out there. I day. think what's really important as a Disney, I'm not a Disney shareholder, but I, I really believe in Disney, as a Disney aficionado, is that this is them controlling their own destiny. The easy money is licensing your content. That is the safe play. And Disney has kind of been famous for the safe play. If you look at the theme parks, they did not invest until Universal started investing uh, in, in the Harry Potter properties and really stepping that up. This is Disney saying, we are going to spend a lot of money over a long period of time and eventually come out of it with something that adds to our bottom line. And the reality is, this is about Hulu and the sort of pivot away from cable as much as it is anything else. They control ABC. They own a bunch of cable networks. There is a bundle they can give you where you cut the cord and Disney makes more money rather than less.
0: Is there a future where you see Disney Plus being incorporated with some of the other properties that people are pretty interested
1: in getting from Disney, namely ESPN. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about that. Well, ESPN Plus and ESPN are different. ESPN has cable contracts that preclude it from being sold as a one off. I expect as numbers start to fall in cable and, you know, they've been dropping at an increasing rate, that Disney's going to start asking out of those deals, or asking for exceptions, where sort of like the Sling deal, where they can sell a certain amount of standalone ESPN through Sling and now through other services. But they've never said what the cap is, but there is a cap on how many ESPN subscriptions can be sold that way. So, yeah, I, I think they're going to figure out how to make the most money out of everything, because the cable company, at half the size, wherever cable bottoms out, there'll be some market for cable, they're not going to have the leverage to say to Disney, we're 98% of your business. Like, we're paying you $8 for ESPN. And cable, in return, is going to get ESPN-free cable bundles, which is something they're not allowed to offer now. Yeah. So, my my big takeaway is, good thing for Disney
0: here, and as the consumer looking out at all this, streaming is going to start to look a lot more like cable. It's it's, it's (laughs) its own version of a la carte, but you're still paying for all these different things.
1: You might pay more. And we've talked about this before. You're going to have less choice. There are going to be channels that go away. Disney owns Freeform. Freeform produces some really interesting content. That content could be just part of this service. I'm not sure you need to pay for all the ancillary programming it takes to fill out a 14-hour day cable schedule, just because you have you know, a handful of good shows on Freeform. Those can probably just stream on Disney+. Plus. It's the way things go, Dan. Works for me. <laughs> Thanks for hopping on today's show. I uh, don't want to run into Chuck E. Cheese in a back alley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we'll try to avoid that happening. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out videos from the podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Dan Klein, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on.